hope you have your Bible with you this morning. If you do, please take it and let's turn uh, to the book of Matthew. And to this morning we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 10, looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 10, uh, 16 through 20. I'm reading this morning out of the New American Standard version of the uh, translation of the Bible. If yours is a little different. really impressed at how many people got out on a day like this. Thanks for being here with us. All right, I want to begin this way. I think God gives us the benefit of the doubt and just assumes that we are on mission. And by on mission, what I mean is that we are actually working for Jesus Christ and doing what Jesus wants us to do in whatever setting God has given us, whatever your mission is. Usually we think of that as where we work and the people we are around. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to reach people that I will never be able to, and I'll be able to reach some you can't reach, and God is going to use us on mission. And since Jesus told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he just assumes that we are about that business, and that's what we're doing. And I hope that's right. Uh, some people, though, say, what mission? What are you talking about? The mission that we have is to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a mission where people can be eternally altered in their relationship to God and their relationship to others, and their whole, uh, their whole life after this one can be completely different in a good way. It is the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and the message of this mission is already given to us in Matthew in chapter 3 and chapter 4, and Jesus Christ has been doing it. Behold, the kingdom of God is here, and uh, we are to take hold of that. The kingdom of God is something we still preach about, and the message of the kingdom is if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you have to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He is the finished work of God for salvation, and on our mission, it is him that we talk about. The mission that we're on includes, no matter where you're at in your mission or what you're doing or the place of it, includes the fact that the in this world, we are attempting to reach those who are hostile to Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us uh, that we are all born and even conceived, David says in Psalm 51, as sinners in the womb. And we are born sinners and enemies of God, Romans 5, 10, and 11. Many today in the world, therefore, hate our message. And they have dedicated their lives to the extermination of the message of Jesus Christ. And in our country, that's coming out more and more that the church is the enemy. We've got to shut down the church. That's what's being said. And for most of my life, I'm 64 years old now, I have felt very secure in my own country. And I've been thankful to God for the security that I have had in America. And I have considered that outside of my country, that's where the grave danger is in following Christ for those who carry the message. Well, in my short time here on earth, I have never witnessed uh, the advance of evil against the people of God like it's happening right now. And the church has become the enemy in America. What we believe is now what they want to silence. And we're not supposed to believe in things like there is a hell. And you can go there if you don't trust Christ. We're not supposed to tell people that their choices in life uh, are uh, not what God wants them to be. And that's what's happening right now. Uh, have you noticed that? It's okay. I know you're not Baptist, but it's okay if you, if you answer that, all right? Uh, when I ask a question, but don't talk any other time, all right? That's it's still all right. <laughs> Secularists in society have declared war on Jesus Christ and on the church of Jesus Christ. 
They've declared war on his people. They oppose this book that we love so dearly. They oppose his values, certainly, and, and especially his commands. His exclusive means for salvation is now on the chopping block in the world. And uh, us pushing his values in this world, his morals, his standards in society, has become suspect, and uh, we have become the object uh, uh, as enemies to them. I say all this just to say this. I think, at least in my life so far, it's been an easy mission. I have not faced persecution like uh, other people have around the world. No one has ever threatened my life if I didn't stop talking about Jesus. I don't think those days are going to continue that way. But that's what I got used to. So the issue is, how is it that we're going to handle opposition to the ministry? And I want us to understand that this is nothing new. God has sent people into very dangerous situations since the beginning of this time when Jesus in our text sends his disciples out so that they can be missionaries for him. So how do we handle the opposition and what do we uh, do, uh, or I should say, how do we act when we're on mission and we meet some opposition? So if you have your Bible, Jesus is getting ready to send them out on mission and he gives them a warning right away. And we want to look at this warning in detail and talk about the other verses we have with it. So I'm in Matthew 10, starting in verse 16, if you want to follow along with me. Behold. Now, you're going to learn what that word behold is there for. Uh, it's a very, very insightful word in the text. And I am really upset that there are many translations that don't even translate that word out of the Greek text. They just leave it out. I think it's there for a reason. It is, it is there to do something for us. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So behold. In other words, people look, understand, and see what's going on here. I, Jesus is talking, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay, right away we know enough to know that's not going to be a happy time, right? I send you out in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And I think that shrewd as serpents is going to drown us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and uh, we're going to get some stuff from there. Anyway, let's move on. But beware of men. All right, so I'm sending you out. You're going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves, and I want you to beware of men. Well, what kind of men? Well, men that are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, men that are not followers of Jesus, men that are following someone else and not God. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you Notice, in their synagogues. I don't think of a synagogue as a place where you'd have scourging because the synagogue is where these people went every single week and did what we call church. They would assemble at the local synagogue and they would worship God. They would read the Torah. They would hear a scribe or somebody uh, teach on what it means and they would worship there. And yet it says in their synagogues, this is where you're going to end up and you will be scourged there. Scourging is the word that they use in the text for what they did to Jesus Christ, okay? This is, a, this is more than just a whipping. Uh, this is something that can, can kill people. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what, or I'm not, sorry, worry about who, <laughs> I can't read, how and what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For, so here's a reason or a purpose, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit, notice capital S, the Spirit of God, 
of your Father who speaks in you. Now, so far, if you're ready to go out on a mission, unless you are a Navy SEAL or something like that, this doesn't look like a good time for anybody, right? This doesn't look like it's going to be happy. I'm going out as a sheep. Everybody else is a wolf. People are going to hand me over to be handled by the authorities, religious authorities and others. Uh, I'm, I may get this talk to governors and kings, but as we look at Paul's life, we find out a lot of that was done uh, wearing chains. And so uh, it's not a really exciting dossier, dossier for the ministry to go out and here's your mission. What about the guy we saw this morning that uh, is trying to work and, and he loved uh, video graphics and stuff like that and he finds out he's in the middle of a cesspool and he can't stay there as a Christian so he has to get out and he was, uh, you know, lost his job. He got fired uh, because of his belief in Jesus Christ and his mission there was ended. Uh, what about your mission? What's it like where you work? What's it like with the people you hang out with? What's it like when you're trying to reach them with Christ, to Christ? I think probably like me, most of them are not so hostile uh, anymore, but that could be coming. Well, let's look, if you're following along in your bulletin, first of all in verse 16, where we learn this. While among Christ's enemies, he says, be insightful and innocent. Now, I'm taking uh, uh, that, that phrase out of verse 16, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. He wants us to be insightful and yet innocent. In other words, uh, we want to be very wise, but we want to be innocent of, of any harm to anyone. So what we need to say is that ours is not a military takeover of the world. People have tried that in history, and it doesn't work that well, and it doesn't last that long. Ours is not a military takeover. We want to gain uh, our, our numbers, let's say, by conversion. We want to gain our numbers, not by uh, overcoming people and causing them to be forced to follow Jesus Christ, which has happened in history, but we want to make uh, those enemies of ours friends through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. We want uh, to gain through the attrition of people going from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. So Jesus is about to send the 12 out on an evangelistic mission. Remember, there's a devil with them, and somebody's going to get paired up with Judas as they go. I've always wondered what that, that part of the mission team looked like and how that went uh, when he didn't even know Jesus or trust him as Savior. But anyway, he sends them out on an evangelistic mission. The bottom line is that they are going where people uh, don't want their message, and that's been true with Jesus. We see some acceptance, and we see some, some real opposition to what Jesus Christ was trying to do in his mission. In fact, there are people out there that will not tolerate it at all. We live in a world where everybody wants you to tolerate everything except a Christian. And uh, they knew what that was like, the disciples did. Uh, some will initially convert. There will be some converts among the people that are hostile towards uh, Jesus Christ. So really, I don't know about you, but that, that keeps me going. I hope it keeps you going to know that you're not going to get rejected with the message with everyone. But there are going to be people that are going to uh, trust Christ as Savior. Well, we soon learn that the mission dossier contains promises of danger and life-threatening events. So this is not a picnic we're going on. It's a mission that could cost us our life. And we've been pretty fortunate. I don't know that that's going to last. I think it lasts. I don't think it will. Well, I want to dissect the verse here and understand what the disciples were being told before they left on their mission. Let's look at it closely. What is Jesus really saying? 
Uh, it is a mission that Jesus is calling them to accept in his name. Now, that's really good news. I've been sent on a lot of missions that weren't for Jesus Christ. I've been sent on a lot of missions to do things for people that did have, had nothing to do with religious things. And if you don't take Jesus with you, even in a mission like that, uh, there's going to be problems that you can't overcome. So verse 16 starts out, Behold. Now, what I want you to notice is that any time in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, that you see the word behold, normally God is trying to get your attention and say, look at this. I have, I have something that's going to happen here that's by me, of me, and it's important for you. Not that the rest of the Bible isn't important. It is. I purposely don't use a red letter edition because uh, sometimes you get into the red and you think, well, hey, that's more important than the black parts, and it's just not true. It's all the word of God. It's all important. But that word behold sticks out to me and says, I better pay attention. God wants me to make sure I don't miss something. Now, uh, this is going to really bless your heart because uh, the word behold is a demonstrative particle in speech. Now, that's not why it's so important, but it wants to demonstrate something. It wants to get our attention in terms of what English is. And it draws our attention to what follows. So when you see behold, you know, don't read so casually. Pay attention to what you're reading. It calls for close consideration. That's what that word is doing. And contemplation of what is being said. So I need to think about it. I need to understand what's being said here. And I don't want to just gloss over it. It is often used when God is calling attention to an important work of his. And friends, this mission is his. It's not yours. It's his. It's not the disciples. It's his. And that means everything to us. This is information that those leaving on mission need to clearly understand so that they can do what Jesus wants them to do. And there's great wisdom here for those who are listening when they're going out on mission. And I think sometimes we get into that a little bit uh, flippantly without a lot of thinking about it. And we get a group of young people together and we go build something somewhere. I don't think we've prepared them well for it. And sometimes they get to be more consumers of ministry than givers of ministry on the trip. And it's not just true of young people, but others as well. I've had missionaries tell me, don't bring your kids down here because we're sick and tired of babysitting American kids. If you want to send kids, it'll work. That's a different story. <clears throat> well, we have to be serious about mission. Of course, they're not all that way, right? But some are. The one sending them on mission, notice this. Uh, Jesus said, what? I, right? I send you. And what we need to understand on the mission is that it is the Lord God of the universe who is sending us on that mission. Here it's Jesus Christ himself. Now, <clears throat> other than Jesus Christ, my life when I've been sent on a mission, go to such and such a place and pick up a part and do this with it and all that, uh, it wasn't Jesus that sent me. Now, I hope he goes with me. I hope he rides along, but uh, that wasn't a, a really powerfully important mission. Now I can try to witness on the way or something when I get there, but the point is God is sending them on a special mission. It's about the kingdom of God. So I want you to really camp on the words, I send you, because the one who is sending you makes the mission completely critical and important if it's Jesus. There can be no greater person to send us on mission than Jesus. I want you to think about that when a missionary feels the call of God in their life or a young person feels a call into ministry. And that's a call that is more important than any other call. It's Jesus. It's the God of the universe. Better pay attention. Say, hey, behold, it's me sending you. Better pay attention. The mission is divine work. 
And he goes with us. He never sends a missionary out alone. Never. He's always there. And that's what makes us have the courage to go. Now, I want to look at the next word. The next word is uh, that I want to pull out of there is, Behold, I send you as sheep. Oh, I wish we could go as something else. Uh, Lord, why don't you send us out as lions? That would make us a little more uh, safe on our trip. No, he sends us out as sheep. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with sheep, and I thank God for that. But uh, I've heard people that do. And as sheep, we need a lot of care and protection. I do know that sheep are not that intelligent. Uh, We've slaughtered some sheep, and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, You know, others, you know, they're trying to get away, and there's excitement there, and you might have to, you know, put them out of their misery with a piece of lead or something like that. But with the sheep, we just set them up on their hind end, and they're sitting straight up, and their legs are just hanging out. You just raise up their head, cut their throat, they fall over dead and bleed. And they don't fight, they don't kick. I think, you know, you want to just put up a fight, why don't you? You know, at least try to stop me. It's hard to do. And I didn't want to go out on a mission as a sheep. But I want us to see the real picture of what he's doing here. Um, as sheep, we need a lot of care and protection uh, from, from our owner, from our master. I know people have spent thousands of dollars trying to figure out a way to keep the coyotes out of their sheep. They put up these very expensive, uh, you know, really high-powered electric fences, and they get dogs to help them and stuff like that because sheep are easy prey. That means that we are weak, and we're weak flesh, and we're weak in flesh and blood, and we're in need of a shepherd who will take care of us on the mission. I suspected a lot of missionaries that were sent someplace where they ended up, you know, having their lives in danger and thought, wow, I was hoping that would never happen to me. And here I am, and I'm vulnerable. The issue is this. Lord, as sheep, how do you want us to act on the mission? As sheep, how do you want us to act on the mission? And I think what goes with that is God tells us you need to speak the truth in love. I'm just guessing that a sheep could speak love better than a wolf or a lion or something like that. You need to speak the truth in love. You're not there to harm. You're not there to overcome. You're not there uh, to carry out a military campaign. You're there to very simply and humbly give the message. So we're sheep. And especially in light of what occupies the territory of our mission, we understand as sheep that there is danger and there is opposition. And here in the text, he calls them wolves. And so let's talk about wolves. This is what the opposition is made up of. So when the next time you go to tell somebody about Christ, just remember you're a sheep. That could be a wolf. Be careful. (laughs) But you're there to do what God tells you to do. He's with you. I have never known a sheep that could fight and be victorious over a wolf in life. Even if I could find the biggest, meanest ram that exists on planet Earth, I think if, if I were a betting man, I'd say the wolf is going to win. The ram might get a few you know, good head, head shots with a, with a nice you know, a couple of horns or something like that, but the wolf is going to win. The ram is not going to win, no matter how tough he is. Everyone, I think in that case, is, is going to place their bet on the wolf. Now, I want to interject in here Romans 8. You want to follow me, that'd be great. Romans 8, 36. The Apostle Paul told the Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, which is, which is in Jesus. Nothing can separate us from that. And he gives us the ultimate thing that uh, we think could separate us, somebody putting us to death. But it says in verse 36, for just as it is written, 
for your sake, meaning God's sake, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's attitude is, well, if you kill me, go ahead and kill me because that's a part of the mission plan. And remember, Paul gave up his life when they removed his head from him and he bled out. And before he did that, uh, he was telling uh, some of the Philippians that uh, that's my drink offering to God. I'm pouring out the blood of my life. So Paul is saying, you know what? Not even the threat of death or death itself is going to be an issue with us. We're willing to go. And we would ask ourselves, is Jesus aware of the danger or what he's asking me to do? What do you think? <laughs> of course he's aware of the danger. Of course he knows what you're facing. Of course he knows what the situation is. Wolves are both fierce and devouring. And the New Testament uh, bears witness to that. A couple of places, uh, John 10, 12, and these are all in your bulletin, should be. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul says, I know, I know that after my departure, savage, the Greek word is cruel, wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And notice this, the next verse. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He's saying, those are wolves too. Sometimes the wolves grow up right in the middle of the church. So they have to be, they have to be watched. They have to be taken care of. We have to make sure they don't devour the flock. Sometimes they're on the outside of the church and they're raised up. We have to watch out for them as well. So uh, sheep are fat. They're weak. They're slow. And to the wolf, they're they are tastier dead than alive. Jesus is sending his men into a crooked crowd, into a crooked generation. Uh, I thought that uh, Paul's words to the Philippians would help us here in chapter 2, verse 15. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Well, I think that's where we're at. We've always been there, really. And the one thing we need to do, the way we need to act when we're in the middle of this is God says, hey, I want you to be a light. Light in the Bible represents truth. I want you to be truth. And the world wants us to stop sharing our truth. So one way we are to handle ourselves in our mission is don't let them stop you from teaching and telling truth. We are to be lights of the world. We're going to let those lights shine. Then he says shrewd. This is a different word from the normal one for wise, and it means to be wary. It means, uh, it, I'm sorry, it is understanding associated with insight and wisdom. So it's a powerful word. It's not just wisdom. It's understanding associated with win wisdom and insight. It is to be thoughtful, prudent, and wise. So he says, I want you to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. I don't think that it is God's desire for us to put ourselves in harm's way foolishly. Oh, there's some, you know, there's some people that hate Christians. I think I'm going to run in there and start telling them how much Jesus loves them. Maybe I can get beat up. Oh, happy day. Uh, I don't think that's the point. But when it comes, then it comes. I do have a lot of experience with rattlesnakes. And I have learned that if they get a chance, they like to warn you before they bite you. Uh, sometimes you're already in the middle of something you can't stop, and they bite you anyway. 
but they would like to get away from you if they could. Uh, the word for snake in the text, uh, I think, is akin to what happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The snake had already proven itself as, as a reptile of being a very shrewd uh, little reptile. And they had, a, they had a, a reputation of that. So why wouldn't Satan uh, indwell a snake and talk to Eve? And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden. So he's questioning with Eve, what did God really say? And, and he lies to her. He doesn't tell her the whole truth. And that's the snake that we run into. The snake has earned a reputation as a clever reptile and therefore a symbol of cleverness in the Bible. And if they're poisonous, they represent great danger. I would like to submit to you that there has never been a snake as lethal and deadly as the one that we call Satan. I don't know of any other, other snake, you know, Taipan, Black Mamba, you name it, that is as deadly as Satan. And then he says, I want you to be innocent. And this means unmixed, pure, and innocent where evil is concerned. And it includes an innocence in intention. In other words, in what we in intend to do. Uh, again, Paul helps us with this uh, back in Romans 16, 19, where he says, for the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and notice and innocent in what is evil. <clears throat> I've seen people uh, start bar ministries. They say the people at the bar got to be reached. And so they start out, you know, being really a light in the place. And the next thing you know, <clears throat> the light's getting dimmer and dimmer. And pretty soon it goes out and somebody needs to go to the bar and minister to them. It becomes more of a bar uh, than it does a ministry. Sometimes ministries fold like that and they don't go where they're supposed to go because we're weak. And the point I'm trying to say is, uh, if, you, if you're going to have a ministry like that, you still have to be innocent and pure and clean. Uh, you don't go out into a tribe of people and, and become what they are in terms of evil or wickedness. That's not why God sent us. We go out there and we maintain this innocence. We, we're, we're, not, we're not really uh, acquainted with, with sin personally, and we don't have a lot of a personal experience. That's the attitude God wants us to have. We want to be inexperienced in doing evil. And he wants us to be as innocent as doves. Now, this is not the turtle dove. A lot of people think it is, but it's the common rock dove. And it was used in the temple sacrifices, and it was even sold there, sometimes in the precinct, and Jesus didn't like that, but they, they sold them there. And in view of ancient natural science, okay, so I'm talking about uh, veterinarians in Jesus' day, not, not what we have today, it was a symbol of, of a kind of virtue. Well, why would it symbolize virtue? Well, because this is built on the fact that the rock dove has no gallbladder and therefore secretes no bile. And perhaps that's the connection. I think it probably is. And so as uh, innocent as doves. Jesus knows what he is sending his disciples into. Jesus knows what you're facing in your mission. But they're going with God's power, and God is going with them, and that's the whole issue. Still on mission, we must be insightful into what really is going on and avoid what we can so we can continue the mission. But if we can't avoid it, we stand for Christ. Uh, we, we are then like a holy sacrifice to God. We don't do harm, but harm may be done to us, 
And with God's help, we'll get through. If we choose to compromise with the world, to stay safe in the world, we are actively choosing men over God, and that's not what we're supposed to do. God sends us to transform them, not to be transformed by them. We're the salt. We're the light. We should flavor and we should give truth. Now we're going to venture out of that verse into verses 17 and 18. We learn that opposition from the world will also afford us opportunity to witness to the world. We must be aware that evil resides in men. So be on guard around them. Take the attitude of Jesus when they're trying to get him to take the throne before his time. In John 2, 24 and 25, uh, it basically says nobody had to tell Jesus about men. He knew men. He knew what they were and what they were like. Nobody had to tell him or warn him. Well, we need to be warned. Because of evil men, evil women, you will end up in court and you'll be flogged under the authority of the synagogue leaders, he tells his uh, Jewish disciples, and here the mission is to the Jews for them. Scourging included 26 blows across your back and 13 across your chest, which equals 39. They wouldn't do 40, so they wouldn't break the law and accidentally forget where they were at in their flogging and give you 41 instead of 40. So the religious leader said 26 and 13. We should note that much of what is said here by Jesus is able to be verified in the pages of the New Testament. All these things and more happen to the disciples. In verse 18, they will find themselves before Gentile governors and Herodian kings. What we must keep in mind is the reason that we're on the mission in the first place. This is all for the sake of Jesus in the world. And if we died in Christ, then we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to him. It's all about him. And it is about the salvation of his enemies, enemies just like we were. We were all enemies of Christ. Every one of us. There's not a person that isn't. And somebody shared the good news in some, some way or somehow we believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we crossed over the line of enemy to the line of friend. Well, if we get no response to the message, I want you to know you're still successful in the eyes of Christ. And be sure and catch this, because you were faithful. If my memory serves me right, Jeremiah ministered for over 40, 45 years or so. There is biblically no evidence at all except for maybe his secretaries, Emanuensis, Baruch, who he, who he really had to blast in chapter 45, but there's not one person mentioned as a convert from Jeremiah's ministry. Not one. But God looks at his faithful heart. Don't give up. You may not see uh, anybody convert in the ministry room that you have at work or wherever you're at, but I want you to know that God just wants us to uh, make sure we're faithful in witnessing for him. Dr. Craig Blomberg reminds us this, without the Holy Spirit, human rhetoric accomplishes nothing of eternal value. It's about him. He's the one that changes hearts, not us. But we're used as tools to spread the word. It is his mission. He alone can give success to that mission. What we added was faithfulness. And then finally in verses 19 to 20, I may run a couple minutes over, but you guys fought so hard to get here. You deserve a little extra. And since it's the free church, this is all gravy, okay? Just adding this. The king of kings will give these men the words to say when they're before rulers. 
when the disciples are arrested, and they would be, they didn't have to uh, be concerned about what to say. Jesus promised them that they will be given what to say. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, uh, because they were being, uh, uh, they're going to be beaten by the Pharisees and released, but it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Isn't it interesting the guys Jesus told, uh, hey, follow me. Why don't you come be my disciple? Put down the fishing net. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. If that was today, that would mean he never showed up on any Ivy League campus, and he didn't collect all his people from Harvard or Yale or William and Mary. He, he, he went out to the shores, and he got fishermen. And everybody knows they, don't, they, they ain't got no good education. And yet they are talking like very learned men that cannot be dealt with by the intellectual elites among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. And they're amazed. You know what it takes to amaze this crowd? It takes God. And he did that. And God can use us. Now, I don't know that you can just say that these promises are going to come right straight across to you because not everything the apostles could do, the disciples could do, can we do in the same way anymore. But I do believe God would give you the words to say when you're in a bind among God's enemies that he would help you with that. I know that he would help for sure. God wants them there in these positions, in a place where they're in danger, in a place where they're being arrested, okay? But God will never abandon them or refuse to help them when they're on that mission. Now, in my notes here, I've used uh, the Latin words nota bene, which means note especially, look at this. They don't have to worry when they're speaking. I don't know how many of you are afraid to share your faith because you're afraid you aren't going to say the right things. I want to encourage you, you know the gospel, just trust that Jesus will help you. Trust that he'll give you the words to say. And then don't spend the next three hours after you left worrying that I didn't say the right thing or I wish I would have said this. The Spirit of God is the one in control. He's working. God just wants to see your faithfulness most of all. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to do your best. I'm not saying that at all. But God's in, in control. The Spirit of God will speak through them, the disciples, and uh, he's going to be speaking God through them to their opponents. And God will help us, I believe. Imagine even the smartest of men trying to deal with the wisdom of God as it confronts them. Hey, you have to feel sorry for the Pharisees, don't you, and the Sadducees. They are outmatched, all of them together. Don't have a single full brain where God is concerned. Doesn't hold up to him at all. The Sanhedrin coped with it by having the disciples flogged and sent away. I had a friend that was uh, having an argument with his mother-in-law, and she didn't like the way he was talking, and she, he, she was using all these big words. He was using all these big words. She got so frustrated, she reached under the table, pulled off her shoe, and hit him in the head. <laughs> that's what you do when you can't carry the argument. You end it with a flogging, and that's what they did here. They flogged him and sent him away. And those disciples considered it a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Is that, is that going to be our response? Just to remind us, everyone who lives godly lives for Jesus will be persecuted. 
That's 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a choice. You can choose to live like the world. Nobody will persecute you. Put their arm around you. Hey, you're a good buddy. If you live for Jesus Christ, you don't get invited to their parties anymore. You don't get asked over after ball games. It just doesn't happen. That's okay. Well, now we're at our uh, applications, if you're following in the bulletin. Number one, Dr. David Turner said this. I thought it was worth quoting. The world's goal against us is not passive unbelief. The world's goal against us is not to be passive and not to be believers. They're going to be active and unbelievers. Number two, our Christian mission's objective and opposition have not changed. The disciples fought this. The people in the 1900s, 1800s, they were Christian, they all fought this. The opposition has not changed because the snake is still very alive and real. We struggle against powers of this dark world and the people who obey them. Remember what Paul said, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. That means you can have a little more sympathy for those people that are not treating you the way they should because they're getting help with that. The deadly snake is still at work. Thirdly, Jesus is well aware of what we are up against. Don't think he doesn't know. The world has no idea who they're up against. Think about that. And you're on his side. And lastly this, we are to view persecution as an opportunity to witness and I might add to that an opportunity to give glory to God. Easy to say, standing here in a very nice, heated room. <laughs> Let's hope we can say it when it's not this way. Let's pray, shall we? Well, Father, um, we could look at this and say, this is not a real inviting, bright picture of what it means to be on mission but the point is, this is where we're at. This is what we've been dealt in this world. And you want us to respond by being as innocent as doves, as harmless, as shrewd as, as serpents, however. And I pray that you would give us wisdom in our missions. Uh, we may be fighting something at work, don't know what to do, don't know how to respond, uh, don't know how to act. And I pray that uh, you would step in and help us and that you would guide us and that we would depend on you. Uh, Lord, help us to understand that you never leave us or forsake us. You're always right there. We're never alone. And I pray that we would, uh, let's say like, like Gideon of old, stand up and be courageous. And like Joshua, be courageous. Help us to be courageous for Jesus. And by the way, thank you for using us on mission. In your name we pray. Amen.
you bow as I close our service. <clears throat> Almighty God, I do praise you and thank you that we can have the freedom to say what we think from the pulpit, in our classrooms, as friends meeting each other. I just thank you, Lord, that, that you would allow us this privilege. I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes that we could see you each and every day. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>